0: Welcome to the She Recovers Podcast. I'm Taryn Strong, co founder with my mother, Dawn Nickel, of She Recovers. She Recovers believes that we are all recovering from something. And here on She Recovers Podcast, we examine the healing power of connection and intentional living, as well as what happens in our lives when we put down our past stories and pick up our soul's true purpose this episode, I had the honor of chatting with Catherine Choi. Catherine Choi is the founder of So Young, which is a Canadian brand of elevated lunch bags and backpacks. And she and her business are on a mission to spread the message of transformation through incremental change. And one might ask what lunch bags could possibly have to do with transformation. Well, 22 years ago, Catherine got clean from a heroin addiction which started her on a journey of personal healing that continues to this day. In this episode, Catherine shares about the connection of her childhood trauma to her addiction. She also talks about taking responsibility for your life, letting go of blame, imposter syndrome, and the importance of believing in yourself. She also shares her patchwork of recovery, which includes meditation as the foundation, nutrition, breath work, and daily cold showers, five minutes of a cold shower. Catherine recently attended Platt Medicine Ceremonies, and she beautifully articulates how that experience was for her, and how that experience reminded her of her innate power. Outside of running a successful business, Catherine is also a wife, a mom to three wonderful children. And she really labels herself as a health, wellness, and spiritual speaker of sorts, always open to new experiences that will further her own personal development on this adventure called life. She is a wonderful storyteller. So I know that you will enjoy very, very much every word that she shares. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. I am having the pleasure of speaking with and connecting with Catherine Choi, who is from Toronto, so a fellow Canadian, and right now she's actually calling in from Montreal. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Catherine. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so
1: excited to to be part of this. Yeah, we are too.
0: We um, we met, I guess that was in June when we did one of our She Recovers Creating Connections tour stops in, in Toronto. Yes. And I, unfortunately, I only met you briefly. I, we didn't have much time to sink in or connect, but mom did. Yes. And after meeting you, she was just so excited. And she's like, oh my gosh, Taryn, you are going to love Catherine. Aww. You and her have to talk. You, we should get her on the podcast. Her story is extraordinary. So I've just been really excited to connect so that we can share your story. So thanks for being open to that.
1: Absolutely. And and I did do your yoga class, which was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So I look forward to another opportunity to do that, maybe in Miami. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, yeah.
0: We will plant the seed and hope to see you there. Oh, see no, you know, I'll be there. there. Just I don't
1: know if you're, you're doing it. Right
0: Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm teaching yoga. Absolutely. You bet. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So Catherine, what brought you into the recovery space? Were you struggling with a behavior or was it a relationship or a past event or was it all of the above or was (laughs) it something else?
1: Yes I mean uh, i I entered the recovery space um, twenty two years ago uh, when I was brought to my knees uh, with a heroin addiction um, that I basically um, was a kind of a late starter in life. I didn't do any Drugs or alcohol um, during my uh, high school and university years. I mean, that's not true. I drank a little bit, but nothing out of control. Um, but after I graduated from university, uh, I my first drug of choice was uh, heroin. It was the first drug I ever did, and um, there is a story behind that. Um, what you know, which involves a, a very traumatic, abusive childhood, uh, where I you know, um, developed very low self-esteem and made some poor choices and, you know, um, hooked up with a boyfriend who introduced me to things that I wanted to try because I had been so suppressed in my childhood for so long that finally, when I felt like I was free, I was like, I'm going to do everything. And then, you know, before I knew it, I was, um, you know, sticking a needle in my arm, uh, and I couldn't believe how quickly I got to that place.
0: Oh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I love how you just touched on how the experience where you tried heroin for the first time was actually a result of childhood trauma, for example, or that there were some underlying things that led to that moment.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, no question in my mind that, you know, the two things were related. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I often f- remember during that time thinking like, how is this possible? Like that I'm this person, you know, that, that I don't even recognize anymore. Um, but, you know, now from um, looking, you know, many years later, it all makes sense to me. Um, and in a way it all kind of unfolded perfectly. You know,
0: yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. So you found that you know a heroin addiction is what brought you into the recovery space, and then you were able to identify some coping. That heroin was kind of a coping mechanism. Was there anything else that you discovered in that journey of what led to that moment?
1: Um, the well, the way I see it now is that um, I was lucky. Because I do believe now, especially entering recovery, um, there is, I I have a very, you know, spiritual angle to the way I see life. And if it wasn't heroin, it would have been something else. It might have been food. it I mean, it has been food as well. Um, Could have been alcohol. It could have been anything, you know, shopping. But the truth is I had pain and uh, the heroin took away the pain. And basically that's that's the equation for, for um, why someone would feel com- compulsive about, you know, not being able to stop doing something because it makes you feel better, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I actually now look at life as uh, getting us back to the place where we once knew and you know as a child we're born into the world and we're able to just be joyful for no reason we're just joyful and then things start to happen sooner for some and later for others but definitely for everyone we all encounter some degree of trauma and pain and i think that that's normal and and for many years i thought it's so unfair like why did i have you know a family where you know my father beat me up and you know told me i was stupid like why why did that happen to me And the truth is, that's just my, that was just my awakening. It was really this sense of, okay, you know, yes, this was, this is what I uh, uh, created in my life in order to be able to move through it so that the end journey that we're going after is actually to seek peace and that that we have this birthright to um, to have that peace that we're born with um, and um, and you know the heroine I think um, brought me to my knees to show me that there is another way um, once I entered recovery and that really was the starting point of my journey of healing
0: yeah absolutely hindsight is such a beautiful and wonderful gift isn't it it is Catherine- recall a specific moment of awakening where you began to face a hard truth or where you really became aware that a shift was needed in your life story? And what did that look like and how did it begin to change you?
1: So, um, I would say that uh, the first time that happened was actually, you know, um, my heroin addiction lasted um, almost four years, and you know, it started off very innocently, or so it seemed. You know, um, it was it seemed quite harmless because, uh, you know, it it you know didn't start with IV drug use right off the bat. It started with smoking uh, through a tube, and you know, quite honestly, I was so naive that I didn't make the connection that smack was heroin until later. I thought it was something like heroin, but, you know, I mean, really, on it, like, just the level of my lack of awareness is kind of appalling. Um, and um, basically, it seemed harmless enough, and uh, I know now that it really wasn't, but I um, you know, it progressed. And, you know, at first it was just on weekends and then it was like, it was one night of the weekend then it was two nights of the weekend. And then, you know, eventually the first time I went to work on a Monday morning where I was high, that was the last time I went to work without being high for many years. And, um, mm-hmm. um you know, they, over the course of almost four years, I went from someone who was ultra responsible and always on time you know, hardworking, all of that to someone who was always late and didn't care about anything. And I was like stealing money from my dad in order to fund my habit. And basically, I reached a point where I had to surrender. And, and that's point came after the realization that, you know, I thought my out was that I was just going to kill myself when people found out, I was like, that's, that's my out, you know? And, and then that moment arrived and, you know, a part of me just knew that that wasn't the answer. Um, even though I toyed with it for, for a while and, um, and you know, that left me with being in a place of, Asking for help and just basically being willing to do whatever it took to to get clean. And so, when I entered um, detox, uh, I had an experience that I still look back on as um, a divine kind of experience. And um, you know, for for the three and a half years or four years prior to that day, I had spent every single night saying tomorrow I'm not going to use, tomorrow I'm not going to use, tomorrow tomorrow's the first day of my recovery, you know, and then the next day invariably waking up. And some days I made it longer than others, but, you know, I was never able to do it on my own. Um, and um, I entered this detox facility where, you know, they gave me this handful of um, this cocktail of pills that it was a medical detox and they, you know, over the course of one week tapered you down Um from your, um, from the substance abuse. And, um, I, as soon as I walked into this, uh, detox facility, I just felt like I was in the right place, even though it was like this really down and dirty place in East East end Montreal. Um, and everyone spoke French except for this one guy who befriended me the minute I walked in and I felt very comfortable and safe. And, you know, and he, he was kind of like, you know, okay, they're going to give you those pills and just make sure that nobody, people are going to ask you if they can have your purple one. And you know, that don't give anyone anything right and I was like okay and he's like I'll see you in a couple days because you're going to be passed out and I was like okay great and and I was taken care of you know it wasn't there was nothing ulterior there he was just watching out for me and um, after you know two days or two or three days I don't know how long it was I don't remember that period of you know uh, I know I was getting up Um, to take, you know, medication every 12 hours. And, and I know there were certain little glimpses of things that happened, but I woke up after that initial part. And I never from that day on had the experience of wanting to use again. And to me, that was, that was an, that was a state of grace that I entered that I was given this divine gift. Um, and, um, yeah sometimes I wonder like, why did I get this gift, and other people don't, because I have you know been in recovery for years with people who've gone in and out of the rooms and you know um and I often have asked myself like why why did it seem that I got something special, but I just I am so grateful, you know wow, yeah, that's beautiful, and that was twenty two years ago, right. That was 22 years ago. And the big thing, the big realization that I had, so shortly after I went to detox, I went to um, an in-house treatment center for 90 days. And Ooh. during that time, uh, what I was able to really get, you know, to, to the core of my being was that I had created this in my life and that I had spent so many years blaming my ex-boyfriend for getting me in this position, right? And I felt like I was a victim. Like, you know, I didn't ask for this and, you know, he he should never have, like, how how dare he do this to me, right? And, yeah. uh, and I remember, you know, it, it was such a, I was so angry about it um, because I felt so helpless and I could not stop using drugs. And, you know, and I remember him saying to me, you know, I might've taken you there, but I didn't leave you there because he actually got clean before I did um and that was another point of like just absolute bitterness that i had and when i was in treatment i realized I made this choice. Like nobody made this choice for me. I just didn't think my choices mattered because I didn't think I mattered. Right. And I thought somebody else should know what I need better than what, what I think I need because I didn't believe in myself. Right. And, and so when I was in treatment, it was really like smack dab in my face that like, I have to take responsibility for my decisions because, you know, ultimately it's my life, you know, and like never hand that over to anyone else. But the flip side of that was like, if I make good choices, I could do so much, you know, and, um, and so, you know, that, that was a very powerful kind of realization I had in treatment. Wow. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that and touching on that. I have found in my journey as well that I have shifted from that victim mentality and out of the blaming mentality, which I was there for a long time because it was comfortable. Denial is a comfortable place to be, right? Yeah. But I found that when I shift, when I was finally able to see things clearly as you did, it's such an empowering realization as well. and It really helped me to take my power back. So thank you for touching on that and articulating it so beautifully. Oh, of course. And if you look back on your life since those moments, what does recovery look like for you these days? And what does your patchwork
1: of recovery look like? What are your tools? What are your go-to's? So yeah, my recovery today looks um, so different than it did um, initially when I got clean. I mean, I was pretty like cookie cutter, 12-step for many years after I uh, got clean. And um, and I was very comfortable there. And I made very, very strong relationships um, in, um, in N.A. And um, it was really about the 10-year mark, maybe just a little bit before then, that I started to feel like there had to be more. And, you know, over the course of the 10 years that I was in the rooms, I also did many other things. I mean, I, I, you know, I often say that getting clean got me to the starting line of life. And by that, I mean, you know, drugs were what I turned to, to help deal with the pain. And, and then, then I had to deal with the drug problem. Um, But then Mm -hmm. once the drug problem wasn't there anymore, it was really a life problem. And it was me in my skin, that was the problem and, and the feelings I had about myself, you know, and um, going to 12 step certainly gave some support to that. But I also went to therapy. I went to all kinds of different therapies and, you know, I talked my head up. I know my issues inside and out. I like, you know, I, I can't even like, I basically, I'm so sick and tired of hearing myself talk about things that happened in the past, because really I got to a point where I realized that talk was only going to take me so far. And that, um, I do ascribe to the belief that, um, you know, it's our subconscious beliefs as well as the things that we hold in our bodies physically that keep us trapped in in the you know the negative emotions that that drive us and drive our decisions and our moods and all that and so you know at around the 10-year mark I really felt a I had started having my children actually um I guess it was a little bit before that even because my oldest son is now 15 and I was going to meetings uh for the first few years after I had kids but um shortly after that I think I stopped going to meetings and um Basically, I had always been interested in, um, alternative healing and meditation, but I could never really put together a solid practice. You know, it was really just kind of like a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, but as the years went by and, you know, I had started my business and there was a great deal of stress involved in running a business and, and then having, you know, three kids um, in somewhere in that mix, really my life got to a point where I was kind of like this ball of stress, and I couldn't deal with my life. I was terribly unhappy, and um, I didn't really have any thoughts of using or anything like that, but I knew I needed an answer. And that's when I started to really look towards um, spiritual practices and meditation as uh, kind of a key to to um, getting like peace in my life. And um over the last number of years, you know, I have um, put together something which it does continuously evolve um, and um, uh, it looks a little bit like this. Uh, meditation is the foundation of of what I do and um, um, I certainly actually meditate for shorter periods than I was. So when I was just meditating, I was kind of in this phase where I was like obsessed and I was meditating like an hour to an hour and a half every morning. And you know that gets kind of unmanageable when you also have to like get breakfast on the table for three kids and get yourself ready and go to work and like also want to work out and all this stuff, right? So, so what basically um, that I I incorporate meditation, but I also um, I'm a very avid believer in physical activity and, you know, I've worked out for the last, since I got clean. I mean, I, I started working out in treatment. You know, I went to this treatment center where they had um, um, gym or aerobics or something as part of the curriculum. And I never stopped because that it's, it's, it is a drug in itself. Working out gives you that adrenaline rush and it gives you that, um, you know, that feel good, those hormones. And I definitely am someone who needs that. And if I don't, if I don't work out, like at least every three days, I start to feel kind of like all my thinking goes down the hill. So, so the exercise is another part of it. And then eating for me has always been something that um, I have continuously tried to refine. And I um, have shifted, you know, over the last five years, um, radically, my diet was very much like your standard diet with, you know, focus on, you know, uh, low carbs, all that stuff. Um, and I just kind of naturally progressed to, um, more of a plant-based diet. So I, you know, just, it wasn't even a decision. I just was in the conversation of listening to, um, you know, all these, uh, amazing people who live a plant-based lifestyle and I just was like you know I'm just gonna try like I'm gonna try not eating meat and it just lost its appeal for me so it wasn't like I have to hold myself back from like eating a steak or something I just wasn't interested anymore and so basically now like my focus is around just kind of Incrementally increasing my wellness physically and then mentally, also having practices such as the meditation. I also do um, breathing exercises, and um, I don't know if you've heard of Wim Hof, but he's like a cold shower, um, and he does these meet, uh, these uh, breathing exercises that um, that are that are amazing. And so I started to incorporate that into uh, my practice as well. And um, and overall, like I I feel that. Uh, I'm not the same person I was um, a number of years ago when I was in that terrible place of stress. And I still have, you know, a ton of pressure on me all the time, but I think for the most part, I have found a way to, and I have to keep going back to it. I mean, there are times where I fall off the met wagon and I'm like, Oh my God, I did it again, but I know what I need to do. And, yeah. um, and that is an area also where, I think I was just born with this drive to um, to pursue like greater and greater kind of um, uh, options that we have as humans available to us to uh, to basically expand consciousness, right? And um, you know that kind of leads to the whole conversation around plant medicine and and you know what. M- like why I made the decision to actually try that out.
0: Yeah. Well, before we dive into the plant medicine, because I would love to hear about your experience with that, if you're open to sharing, sure. can we go back to the cold shower for a moment? Because yeah. you are the first person to bring it up on the podcast and you are probably the fourth or the fifth person in my life to um, share that this is a part of their daily practices. So are you doing the cold
1: showers every time you shower and the breath work or just the breath work? So uh, until I moved, we moved our house in July and now I have a problem. I was telling my husband, I was like, the cold water isn't cold enough in this house, (laughs) right? (laughs) And it is a problem. Like, So now I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to have to start doing ice baths. But anyways, prior to that, I was doing the... Uh, there's a um, 15-minute breathing exercise that I do, uh, the Wim Hof method. And then I was taking a five-minute cold shower every morning. And um, some days were easier than others. Every morning there was a little bit of like, oh, God, I have to do it. But Mm -hmm. I also um, have very much experienced um, this feeling of, it's almost like this sense of elation, you know, when I can – focus all of my energy internally and like the the water uh, kind of like some days it feels cold and sometimes it feels like nothing because i'm all my energy is focused inwards and um i have really found it to be an amazing exercise for overcoming you know uh, overcoming resistance when i um am able to you know get past the the feeling of like, oh God, I have to do this and get into it. There's a sense of I've done something difficult, which makes everything else in my day seem much less challenging, you know? Um, so that's part of my reasoning for doing it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I love that. I'm, I'm sold. I'm definitely sold. And I've heard as well that one of the intentions behind it is it kind of shocks our nervous system, right? And then our nervous system has the ability to practice recovering. So when we are in a stressful situation, or what our body would be perceived to be stressful, or our nervous system outside of a freezing cold shower, our body and our nervous system remembers how to reset. So Oh, that's cool. mm-hmm. Okay. Benefits. Cool, I will send you a message after I have my first freezing cold shower.
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, no, what what I was going to say about that is, I mean, yes, there's the aspect of like, emotionally and and what it the the emotional strength, I think that it gives me, but then the actual physical benefits of the boost to the immune system. uh, I mean, those are unparalleled. Like I in 2014, I was diagnosed with, um, well, I was diagnosed a month later with pneumonia. But I spent a month prior to that suffering. And I like, was like, you know, I felt like I was going to die. And I remember after I that happened, I thought, I am never going to allow myself to get that sick again. Um, And quite honestly, I haven't. And part of it is, you know, um, all the immunity that I've built up, um, you know, I, there's an amazing movie called That Vitamin Movie that I watched. Um, and it talks about the power of vitamins. And if you Google it, it's, it's an amazing movie. And um, it really, uh, it's you know an alternative view, but like highly um, accredited uh, people who are are interviewed in that, and uh, you really wonder like why why is it so? It's always about money, you know, and how big pharma doesn't want vitamins to become this. Uh, recognized for the for the abilities that it has because they're so cheap and they can't be patented. So, anyways, I started taking mega doses of vitamin C and certain vitamins on a daily basis, um, and I have not been sick in years, like years and years. Um, and while my kids have all been sick, because they don't take as much as I do, and my office has been sick and all that, I just am able to, like, I, I do feel that I have been able to um, boost my immune system to avoid getting sick.
0: Oh, that's incredible. I love that. Thank you. Now, yes. Get, would oh, you like to talk I're, about your Sam. plant medicine experience? And what type of lessons oh, you learned from and yeah, awesome. Thank you. So sure. I believe you,
1: um, was Am I correct? You believe I'm what? Sorry, you're cutting out a okay. little
0: bit. Can you hear me now?
1: Yes, I can. Okay.
0: Okay. Great. Um, so, I believe it was an ayahuasca ceremony that you attended. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So, actually, four ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, um, that were at, uh, Rhythmia in Costa Rica. And, um, yeah, prior to that, uh, I should just give the backstory on that. So I had heard of ayahuasca a few years before that, or a couple years. And I was fascinated because anytime I hear about anything like that, I'm like, I need to know what it's about and, you know, should I do it? Should I not? And, um, basically, uh, I, um, read about people's accounts, um, and I was kind of addicted to to reading about them. But I made the decision that I was going to do it at some point, but I wasn't ready, especially because I didn't see myself going to the Amazon and, you know, taking a canoe ride down, you know, into deep in the jungle and like being, you know, without electricity, like I don't even go camping. So like, it was just oh. too daunting. <laughs> Right, um, And uh, so anyways, my curiosity was piqued, but I didn't uh, actually take action on it until about two years later. And I had seen this movie called the reality of truth. Um, and basically um, uh, it, it talks about, um, a, a number of people's experiences with um, with plant medicine and interspersed with interviews with all these spiritual leaders and thought leaders. And um, and at the end of the movie, they talk about this place in Costa Rica, which was really created with people like me in mind, people who didn't want to have that jungle experience but wanted the real experience with a shaman and all that. And, um, and so I as soon as I saw that movie, I was like, I knew like all that, everything came together. And I was like, I am going there. That is my birthday present to myself. Um, so I signed myself up and, um, and I went to Costa Rica in May. Um, and, um, it was a special week there. They do ceremonies um, every week. It, it runs, you know, a seven-day cycle. So they have people arriving on Saturday and Sunday and leaving on Saturday and Sunday. And, like, you, you're there for the same the same people are, are together for seven days. And it's, you know, a very, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, connecting type of experience where, you know, you get to know these people really well. Um, and um, you're sharing very intense experiences uh, you know, experiences together, which, you know, always creates bonding. And, um, basically I got there and I was just ready. You know, I had been so scared, like the whole idea of ayahuasca was kind of terrifying, but then as soon as I, you know, signed up, it was like, okay, I'm doing this. And I was resolved to do it. And the fear kind of subsided and it went maybe a little bit too much in the other direction where I was like a little bit too confident and too ready. Um, and, um, we didn't drink ayahuasca until the third day that I was there. And by the third day, I was like, let's just do this. I want, I'm ready. And, um, I have to say that my first night with ayahuasca, I was brought to my knees. Like I, I, you know, I had a really hard first night. Um, and, um, I did not think that I was going to drink anymore anymore. After that night, um, it was a it was a really um, terrifying experience for me. And once the medicine had taken hold, and I realized that this is what it's about, I had this moment of, oh my god, what have I done? like, I want to take this back, like get me out of here. And that's the kind of the worst thing you could do when you take uh, a plant medicine is like not surrender. And basically that's how I spent my night was just fighting it. And, um, and it really, it got me to a very, very bad place. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, as far as, um, the, Intentions, that you know, they they have they they prepare you very well at uh, at Rhythmia, and they they have you get clear about what your intentions are, and they even tell you what your intentions should be, and they're, they they make them very broad, rather than you know, my intention is to. Um, you know, have so-and-so fall in love with me or whatever, right? Like, nothing like that. It's more like, show me who I've become. And that was my intention. And um, the next day after my first um, experience uh, with ayahuasca, I was sitting with one of the um, support volunteers who was lovely and who had seen me through that uh, first night where I was, you know, just... Beside myself, in like I'm, I'm so terrified. How do I make this stop? You know, and um, she talked me through it. And you know, I had this experience of realizing that um, who I had become was so focused on trying to make my life work and trying to make my business, you know, at the expense of my children and my relationship. Um, with my husband and all of that, that was, was so clear to me of what I was taking for granted and um uh and my daughter's voice that night when I was um it, you know under uh, after I drank the plant medicine uh, I kept hearing my daughter, who's nine, I kept hearing her say, "I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry mommy and it was you know in the context of you know when uh I would get impatient with her. And, um, and then she would storm off because, you know, I got impatient with her. And then she'd come back and say, I'm sorry. And I remember thinking, my daughter's telling me that she's sorry, I'm the one who should be sorry, you know, and I had such intense regret around, you know, those little memories that, you know, in the moment don't seem like a big deal. But then when you're face to face with them, you realize, oh my God, this is my life. My life is passing me by and this stuff is happening and I'm not seeing it, you know? Um, so it was actually a very interesting experience because as I rel- relived it the next day, you know, um, um, this um, woman um, who I was speaking to was like, it sounds to me like your intention of being shown who you've become uh, actually um, it actually happened. And I was like, oh, you're, you're right. Like I didn't see it that way. You know, I, I felt like nothing really happened except that I freaked out, you know? Um, and so it was really interesting, but, and I really was not, um, I was not, uh, excited. I actually resisted. And until the night of the second ceremony, I wasn't sure if I was actually going to drink, but I went to the ceremony thinking I'm just going to make the decision while I'm there. And then while I was there, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take half a drink and see where that lands me. Um, And I did. And um, the second night was, it was just very peaceful. I had nothing, nothing, no visions, nothing happened. And um, um, it really, I think um, brought me to the, the, being ready for the real experience. So I actually really don't feel that the, the ayahuasca ceremonies, I wasn't truly ready for them until the third night. And the third and fourth nights were being hosted by a, a, a guest shaman named Taita Juanita from Colombia. and um Taita Juanita is this amazing man. There's a movie that just came out about him. Uh, and he comes from a lineage of um, shamans. And his uh, grandfather, who lived to I think one hundred and nine years, uh, had been um, you know, doing ayahuasca ceremonies until till the end of his life. And he died the week before. And uh, basically, Taita and his team of shamans, Um, They, at Rhythmia, they were like, oh, Taita's week is always crazy. And I was like, I wonder what that means. And the third and fourth nights, Taita was, um, you know, making the brew, and he was holding those ceremonies, and they were 12 hours long. Uh, And... um, it was yeah and so so it was a very um different experience in the room than the first two nights. And um prior to the ceremony actually starting, we had a group session with Taita and his team where he went around the room and his translator named Carlos basically answered any and every question that we had. Um, and they took their time with their answers and, um, I was the last person to ask a question. And the question I asked was, you know, people talk about all these mystical experiences, like, you know, seeing things and hearing things and leaving their bodies and all that stuff. And I said, I never experienced any of that stuff. And I, I said, is it because I'm scared? Right. And, um, I remember at that moment, Taita made eye contact with me, and even though he doesn't speak English, um, he said, "He said yes, it is because you're scared," and he said, "But don't worry, that's going to change." And I feel like that moment was the moment where I made a contract that I didn't, I could not then at that point get out of, and it was this contract that I was. I was doing this and I was in and <laughs> later that night. So, you know, Taita's ceremony started and his brew was just like, I, it was the taste of it compared to the other two nights was just like night and day. Like the other two nights, it was kind of like sour green smoothie, but <laughs> the night that uh, we his medicine, it was like this, you had to choke it down. It was like so thick and and like it just in itself wanted to make you vomit you know anyways, and so I drank it and I was like oh my god I think I'm gonna be sick tonight. and I hadn't been sick until that point and that was one of my greatest fears was actually being sick mm. um so anyways um I had this experience where um I started to um first of all, the the initial night, I, the the initial part of the night, I I took the medicine and then I would just sat there just trying not to vomit. And all around me, you know, the purging just started and it was really intense in the room. And the energy in the room was like, it was just so crazy. And I was kind of like, what am I doing here? Like, how did I end up here? This is so insane. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know? Um, And You know, things started to kind of shift and I couldn't tell you what was shifting except my perception was changing. And at a certain point I was like, oh my God, I feel sick. I am going to vomit. And I, I actually like made my way to a washroom and um, um, the washrooms had this red lighting because they don't want any light. So they have the red lighting in there. And it makes everything just kind of like the fact that like my senses are all, uh, I'm disoriented. And anyways, so they, they tell you like, you need to get on your hands and knees. And for some reason, I went to the washroom to use the vomit bucket. And <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm being too graphic here, but I didn't need to because you get your own bucket in front of your mattress. But I guess I just wanted some privacy and I, I was like in the bathroom on my hands and knees and kind of like oh my god oh my god oh my god this is actually happening and like being a total baby and then suddenly my body just kind of like overtook me and like these powerful waves like overtook my body and like I had this like slap in the face moment of like the power that I was and it was this reminder it wasn't a new thing it was like, Oh my God, I woke up to, to remembering this is what's inside of me is this power. And I already knew this, I just forgot. And so, you know, I I actually was vomiting while all of this was happening, but I wasn't even paying attention to the fact that I was vomiting because it was like, holy shit, this is who I am, you know, and um, really amazing experience and very, very short lived, but it was, it was like, wow. And so I, I like, made my way back to my mattress. And I was kind of really pondering that. And I thought, this is incredible. Like that, how did I forget? And, you know, and then like this voice, I I kept feeling like this voice, like saying to me, like, get in position. And I was like, I wonder if I really, I'm not going to throw up again, am I? Because I don't really feel like I need to throw up. And then it just got louder. It was like, get in position, meaning get on your hands and knees, which was the position we were told to get to be in when you're you're purging. And so I like got up from my mattress and I immediately went on my hands and knees and I'm leaning over my bucket and like my I'm waiting and and my body starts rotating in this Circular fashion. And at first, I wasn't really paying attention, but then it was like going like faster and faster and faster. And before I knew it, I was just kind of like, you know, like this frenetic activity of like my body's rotating, like, and I was like, what is going on? And at a certain point, I just turned my head to the right to look over my shoulder. And as I turned my head back to the front, I felt this sensation like creep up my my hand up my arm up my neck and it was like this warm sensation and like in this split second I was like oh my god I am a cat and I wasn't like a cat like a like you know like a tabby cat I was uh to this day I'm always like flitting back and forth between panther and jaguar but I was like this powerful feline creature that was like pissing mad like so angry and just like like I had that sense of this coursing power and I was that power but I was also a cat and it's hard to explain and 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 it was like I was like in and out of this this sense of like it's me no it's the cat and like this cat was just like ready to just like pounce and as i had this realization like that i had become a cat and it was like the shock i also felt my head just get smushed down into the ground and so like my body's like pushing up against this hand that's on my head and like i'm just this angry powerful thing and and then i'm like whose hand is on my head and why is my face smushed into the ground and then i realized oh my god this is this is not a human hand, and you know they talk about Mother Ayahuasca as being, you know, a spirit that appears and in in physical form. And I had a physical sensation, and it was pressing my face down in the ground, and I was fighting with everything I had, and um, this was going on and. I felt some somebody's hand on the back of my um on the on the small of my back and and then I heard um one of the shamans had come over and I heard her say just breathe through it just breathe through it and I was like oh my god it was such a relief to hear somebody's voice because I I was going through this without you know like it was just like you know you don't even know that it's happening and and then I realized oh my God, this must be the ego death that they talked about. And mm-hmm. and then it was like, I was out. Like After that, I didn't remember anything. And, um, and I woke up and I was lying curled up on my side and the sun had come out. So I must've passed out for at least an hour or two. I don't even know. I, I don't know what time anything happened at. Um, but the sun was out and I had this beautiful feeling of being like a baby that was like cradled in, in like, the, it felt like I was in the hands of God, you know? And, and I just like felt so comforted and so loved. And I opened my eyes and I was like, it took, it took a few minutes for like everything to sink in of what had happened, you know? And then as I realized like, oh my God, I turned into a cat. Like, did I really turn into a cat? And as I had those thoughts, I felt again, that sense of like pulsating, like, just like, it's like blood running through my veins and like feeling like this, this like crazy sense of power in my body. And like, I I can still feel that whenever I think about it, I can still feel what that feels like. And it's very much like this, um, tactile kind of experience that, that I, I got to keep from that experience. And, um, um, you know, this to me has been something that I still, you know, I still incorporate in my everyday, like, wow, that really happened. And I have to remind myself, but you know, the question that I think that it really, uh, answered for me was like, who I am is who I choose to be, you know? And, and a lot of times I default to my natural default is I'm not good enough and I can't do that. And I'm scared. Right. And, you know, I feel that I had that experience to give me the taste of the opposite which is also me if I choose that right and that I have to make the conscious choice to remember that this is what's possible for me as well um so that was um that was like a huge lesson for me um with my third night of ayahuasca um I don't know if we have time for me to get into my fourth night um because I see where oh, we're at in terms of minutes.
0: No, no, feel free if you have more to share. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is a beautiful sure. story and I'm loving the remembering yeah. that we forget. And I feel like recovery is this journey of remembering who we truly are, and we have just forgotten along the way with conditionings and the stories we tell ourselves and life events. So this is just a beautiful illustration of remembering in a very powerful way
1: yeah I mean, you know to this day I mean and one thing i I'm always careful is you know uh, the ayahuasca experience for me um is like everything else in the sense that you know it doesn't take away from the daily like being present in the moment like you know i I kind of was always i've all I'm always looking for the 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 panacea that's going to give me lasting peace for the rest of my life, and you know, on the one hand, I know that that's not possible, right? But that's kind of what I was hoping for, (laughs) Um, and that's certainly not the case. You know, I came back with uh, a lot of the same issues that I that I went there hoping for resolution on. But what I see is that um, there is so much more out there. Or in here than um, than I was aware of, and you know, the fourth night of ayahuasca, I was really much, very much like, I don't know if I need to drink. Like, I feel like I got what I came here for, you know. And mm-hmm. um, boy, was I wrong, <laughs> because um, so by the fourth night, you know, by that time, like everybody is just like kind of you're half crazy because you haven't slept you haven't eaten like you're just like in this like kind of already like you know zoned out space and um, um, um but I decided you know what I will take a drink just one drink um on the last night and so I went up there and um I took I I gave the signal to just just a half drink. And then, you know, Taita looked at me and he like poured a full glass for me. And I was like, oh, so anyways, I drank it. And as soon as I drank it, I was like filled with regret because I was like, oh my God, oh my God. This one drink is going to kill me. Like I just know it. This this it's like it makes no difference if I if I drink once or twice. I, I forgot to mention on the second night I actually took a second drink because Tita called me up. I I didn't actually want to take a second drink, but they called me up to take the second drink. After which the whole cat incident happened, and so you know I thought okay, I'll just take one drink on the Friday, and then as soon as I took that one drink I was like it doesn't matter, I, it's going to happen, yeah. and I just knew it. Right. And so <laughs> I um I sat there for a while feeling really, really ill. Um, and um, not just not into it. Like I was just like, Oh, I'm here again. Like, oh, I don't want to be doing this. And like, oh, you know, and, um, and you think that the purging part is actually going to relieve it. But what I have found is the purging part brings it on. And so uh, you know, I I went to the washroom and I purged, and I thought, okay, maybe I can just pass out for the rest of the night now, because I am wiped, right? And like that was not to be. <laughs> and so I lie down, and before I know it, like the sounds in the room just got heightened and like there was music playing, but there was another level of sound that was. Uh, over and above the the actual sounds, or I don't know what actual was anymore, but there was another level of sound that kind of entered my reality. And, um, and I'd always, you know, as I had said to Taita, like, I never experienced like, things like leaving my body or seeing like, you know, people talk about geometric patterns and stuff, I never see any of that stuff. And I opened my eyes, and I it was like, I was suspended in air. And I was floating, And I was floating amongst all these shapes and patterns and there was like voices and and like really loud music and there was like crazy things happening in the room too that were actually happening and so people were like screaming and laughing and like I was so out of so disoriented and once again like I shut down at that moment I was like I don't want to see this I changed my mind I don't want to leave my body I don't want to see anything and I was like a total chicken right and and then I remembered okay you have no choice you have to surrender to this, right? And so, so then I just surrendered and I relaxed. And at a certain point, once again, I passed out. And I don't remember what happened after that. But I do remember that when I opened my eyes, I don't think a whole lot of time passed because it was a very, very long night after that. But when I opened my eyes, I was lying on my mattress and looking out the the windows and I mean they're not even windows they're just you know it's this beautiful facility and they have like all the it's open air but they're like window casings and it looks out into the jungle and even though I knew where we were and I was there I was also looking out and I was in a different place entirely and I I was it was like I was in the Garden of Eden or this like the story of life. Like it was this jungle experience of I'm back home. Mm. And and it was wow, I'm home. And I remembered what it was like and wh- what my home is. And it was like this like, oh my God, I'm here. I made it, you know, and I never have to leave. And it I had So many downloads coming to me at the same time, but ultimately, a number of things came to me that are just still like you know. I wrote it all down because you know I, I I never want to forget. But I experienced myself as who I really am, and what that was was that I was truly just a vibration of truth and love and beauty, and that my only role in my life was just to be that vibration and hold that vibration, that I didn't need to do anything for anyone except just to be who I already was, right? And it was like, you know, here I am going around trying to, you know, help my son who's, you know, having all these issues at home and like trying to help my mother and trying to help my sister and all these things and trying to do it through talking. And really, it was just about me just being and holding the truth of who I am. And that my only job in being in this our incarnation is just to remember that and just be that. And I didn't need to do anything beyond that. And it was so clear to me. And I remember thinking, that's my job? Like my job is just to be me. And like, that's the best job in the world. And I was like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is so amazing. I love this. Like, I was like this crazy, like, like, you know, I was so elated. Um, And um, I was like this child, you know, and I experienced um, what it was like to understand that our beliefs create our reality. And, you know, I could... In that moment, I could believe that I was a human who was basically physically not feeling that great. Like physically, like I was like all like, you know, didn't want to move because I was afraid. Like, you know, you really want to like basically hold on to all of your like bodily functions because at any moment you could, if you let go, there could be a big problem, right? (laughs) So I was lying there. I'm in so much discomfort, and then I would shift my thinking to, I am, I am energy. I am not a body, and I would disappear, and I wouldn't be a human body anymore. I would just be energy, and I was like this, like little piece of the sky. Like that's all I could liken it to was like I could experience myself as this piece of just a piece of energy in this gigantic fabric that I was all a part of all at the same time. And prior to um, being in this place, you know, all the purging noises and the suffering noises that it felt like people were suffering around me, you know, but in this space, it all made sense to me. And like, even though there were still people like making these purging sounds all around me, I actually heard them as beautiful sounds of people who were being like reborn in a sense. Right. And that they were, they were um, willing to kind of um, go through what they were going through in order to, to like, you know, expand their own um, consciousness. And while somebody was going through the intense parts of their purging, my, my holding the vibration of being this love and truth and beauty was helping them. And I could feel that I was helping to support them. And it was like, everything was connected and it all made sense. And, um, I, I don't even know, there was no sense of time. I just remember just being there, um and i had this smile pasted across my face the whole time um and you know remember thinking i never have to leave here i'm 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 here all the time you know um so i i mean there's more to it but that was the crux of the the experience that i had on my last night at um uh at rhythmia and um it was really what I came there for, you know, um, I, I really wanted some kind of evidence of, you know, I, I, on, on an intellectual level, I did already believe that, you know, we are, um, we are love and we are energy and, you know, that, um, there is a higher consciousness that we belong to, the actual experience of it for me was what was missing. And, um, and when, I, when I drank on the fourth night and I experienced that, I was like, wow, you know, um, I think that feeling of I've not been left behind, uh, which I often have, uh, that was um, really, um, you know, proven to me uh, that, uh, yeah, like that I'm a child of God, just like, just like everyone else, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for sharing, Catherine. I love your journey. And I love the the downloads that you experienced and the nuggets of wisdom that you were able to have that, you know, like you said, you've intellectualized it before, but be able to actually embody it and have that feeling of it is so key. And I want to say that we don't need to drink ayahuasca for these to have, to, to know that these truths are true and whether you're listening and ayahuasca is going to be a part of your patchwork of recovery or not, the downloads that Catherine had and that she shared with us are just, they're so important because they are true. And sometimes we forget and hope I'm hoping that by listening to beautiful Catherine's words that you can remember that all of these things apply to you as well. Right. So
1: thank you. That's
0: a beautiful beautiful journey.
1: I'm so happy to talk Um, about it.
0: Yes. And so I, I mean, I'm making the assumption that you are, you are proud of yourself for making the decision to take that journey. Do you think you'll do it
1: again? You know, I don't know. You know, it's funny um, now that I'm a few months out of it, you know, like it really was a calling. And I I know after listening to you, I I could really strongly identify with what you said about it as well, which is that at the moment it's not calling me, you know, and um, and I'm certainly now connected to um, a group of people who we were there together and um, um, and some people have already gone back and or continue to to go, you know, drink in other places you know, I I would do it again when I'm ready. Um but I also feel that there are so many paths we can take and um and you know, my journey continues and I actually, of late, you know, this opened me up to the whole world of not just plant medicine, but the use of psychedelics in treating trauma. And that has something that has, um, of late, um, become really interesting to me, you know, that, you know, I know for myself that, as I mentioned, years and years of therapy only got me to a certain point, after which I said, you know what, no more therapy. Like, I'm, I, I, I can't talk myself out of this. I need to, I need to find another way. And, um, when I, um, started with ayahuasca, I think it was the beginning of that journey. But what I realized is that there's so much more, and that, you know, there are other psychedelics such as um, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, and LSD. And I, I never, you know, that wasn't in my drug uh, picture when I was using um, recreationally. And, and it always kind of scared me. But I am actually exploring that route as a therapeutic alternative because the amount of evidence showing the benefits of, you know, controlled therapeutic settings using the psychedelic substances and the kind of uh, resolution it brings for people who have deep-rooted trauma um, is really compelling. And it's so disappointing that it's it was hidden for so many years. Um, and now it's coming back out again. So that's kind of the next step in my journey. And, um, it's TBD, you know, like I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking into it and, uh, we'll see, like, we'll see uh, whether or not that's something that I decide is, um, as part of what you call, um, the patchwork of my recovery, but the recovery continues. There's no question that, you know, I am everything in my life right now is, is, my own form of therapy, which is going back to trying to find that place again of who I know that I am at my core, you know, um, and what my birthright is. And, uh, I see my business as being, um, a therapy tool for me that allows me to work through all of my biggest fears and, um, Helps me grow as a person, um, and that's the context through which uh, I see pretty much every every incident and every experience in my life.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I love that. Just staying, staying open to this recovery process and staying open minded and open hearted to what unfolds. Now, I would love to end with you sharing about your business. You had just mentioned your business, and one of the things that I've Find, I mean, so many things are so inspiring about you, Catherine. But when I went onto your website to dig around and learn a little bit more about you in your bio, I think it's yeah. like second, maybe the third sentence right. on your business. site, right? You share how you 20 years ago got clean from from a drug addiction. And that, you know, just recovering out loud in that way is so brave. And you also, so your business is, and I'll let you talk, speak to it, is you create these really beautiful lunch bags. And I love how you say, what does lunch bags have to do with transformation? So can you please share with us what lunch bags have to do with transformation
1: for you? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, lunch bags in and of themselves, you know, don't really have much to do with transformation but for me you know I started my business um, partly because I was inspired to create something you know I saw uh, a gap in the market and um, I decided to to go for it but that act of going for it, Was very unlike me. Um, And I'm someone who always believed that success was for other people and that, you know, I can't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure out things like that and all this stuff, you know, all this negative self talk that I knew um, after going through years of therapy was bullshit, but I still kind of believed it, right? Because it's these subconscious beliefs, right? And so it was a challenge to myself. To despite these negative um, thoughts that I had, just regardless, take action towards, take one small step towards this goal that I had or this dream that I had to start this business. And that became kind of the uh, the m- mantra that I lived by in my business, but privately. I didn't share it um, for many years, but it was really incredible to me because, you know, I started this business uh, when my son, my oldest child was was seven months old and he's now 15. So, but you know, the business itself took a long time to really get off the ground. And if for me, it w- for a long time, it was just me, it was just part time. It wasn't going anywhere. And then after I had my third child, who's now nine, it started to gain some traction, but slowly. And there were lots of challenges. And, um, over the course of many years I could look back and go, wow, like even though it's not this huge resounding success yet, um, I took it way further than I ever thought I could. And then I'd be like, yeah, but I couldn't, like maybe, I like a part of me was like, yeah, but I've just, I'm just lucky. Like so far, I'm just lucky. And, um, you know, I wouldn't give myself the credit that I had actually really created something. And so it would always have this like next level, like, yeah, I did that, but I could never do this. And then I would do that and I'd be like, yeah, I did that, but I couldn't do that, right? And And then after a while you realize, you know what, you're doing it. You know, and um, um, there was a pivotal moment a couple of years ago that really forced me to rethink um, coming out with the coming out from behind the curtain, my business and telling my story. And a part of me had always wanted to, but I was like, is that's weird. Like, I don't know, maybe it's too much information. Maybe people don't care. And they'd be like, why is she saying these personal things on her website, which sells kids' lunch boxes and backpacks, you know? And um, and then we had a moment where Kate Spade, the brand knocked off one of our lunch bags and they came out with their own lunch bags. And I knew it was um, based on ours because the sizing, the fabric. The description, all of it was identical to ours, but then they put their Kate Spade Spade print on it and it was a Kate Spade product. And, you know, it was very much like kind of a compliment, but kind of like forced me to think, why would anyone in their right mind decide that they would choose our product over Kate Spade's product when you know we're a small nothing brand and they are Kate Spade and in that moment there was no good answer for that there was like there there is no reason why people would choose us they wouldn't you know um, and if you looked at our website what you would see w- was beautiful images of you know kids using our products and um, and hopefully what you'd consider to be nice stuff but it was that was it it was just stuff there was no substance or story behind the brand. And I knew that what makes a person really choose one over another is there's a resonance that needs to happen, a connection that you need to have, an emotional connection with one brand over the other. And in that moment, I was like, I need to share my story because Mm -hmm. I know that this story of not feeling good enough and this imposter syndrome and all of that, I know that's a universal story and nobody talks about it. And we're all on Instagram looking at people with beautiful hair and beautiful homes and like these great outfits and these great bodies and, it's all bullshit, but we believe it, right? And I was like, I want to be the opposite of that. And I want to tell the truth. And I don't want people to look at me and think, wow, she has it so easy. She's gotten her business to this point, because I she has something that I don't. And it's like, no, I do not have something that you don't. I just put one foot in front of the other. And so can you. And so that's why I decided it's really important for me to do this um and the other really interesting thing is the whole kate spade thing for me is such um it's such a weird like karmic type of thing because when i started my business kate spade was Kind of one of my heroes. Like I was like, wow, you know, she is so inspirational, and her story. I was very familiar with the story of how the business started, and how you know they she developed this core collection of four shapes of bags, and um, took them to the same shows that I go to, like New York now, and you know, and met the buyers that you know took her business into the multi millions and all that stuff. And and you know, I had clipped an article early on, like I think in two thousand and seven or something of this story of Kate Spade and every once in a while I would take it out and read it and think wow like that's amazing and um, and then to have the brand Kate Spade knock us off it was like wow that's ironic even though I knew she was no longer part of that brand anymore
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, then, and then a year later to like when we heard the news about like that she had committed suicide I was beside my, I was so sad you know I was just like what how, how, like, why, you know, and, you know, and, and of course, I was like, kind of obsessed with that story. And as you hear more and learn more, like, you know, she, she basically was not able to tell the truth about her pain, you know, and to me, that is tragic, right? Because in me telling the truth about my pain, you know, it, it allows me to connect to people and it lifts me up right? And, and I was like, no, you've got to share, like you you can't keep that stuff hidden and keep this fake, like, persona like that's not it doesn't matter you know and the fact that that she made that choice like just kind of breaks my heart you know so it's it's weird that you know like what you know what brought her to her success was you know the fact or seemingly this this persona of like happy you know beautiful life is perfect type of image but behind the scenes there was not A lot of that, you know, and, and kind of the opposite for me, you know what I mean? Um, And that was where our pivotal moment occurred was when I actually got real, you know, so, yeah, I just, um, that's, uh, that's kind of how, (laughs) sorry, a very long winded answer to how lunch bags are connected to um, me uh, telling my story of drug addiction and and how it's brought me to, um, you know, to share that story authentically with our audience yeah
0: no, it's an important story, so thank you for sharing and I wrote down what you said because it made me giggle. um it's all bullshit, but we believe it. It's yeah. a great quote, and thank you for your openness and your vulnerability and for sharing yourself with your community and your customers and with us because you are you're saving lives and you're changing lives even even ones that you aren't aware of so Thank you for your time today. I know that you're in Montreal to see your mom, so to take time to chat with me, it just means the world. And I'm so excited to share this episode with our community. So many nuggets in it. So thank you. Oh,
1: thank you. It's it's truly um, it's truly my pleasure. I am um, so happy that um, I found your community, and um, you know i I hope it's just the beginning. So- oh, it is.
0: We say this to everyone, and it's kind of creepy, but it's true. You're stuck with us now, Catherine. So, (laughs) and I look forward to seeing you in Miami, and hopefully, we'll get to connect somewhere before then. But, yeah, thank you so much.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Taryn.
0: Thank you for listening to the She Recovers podcast. We hope you will share, rate, subscribe, and help us spread the word. You can always find out more about She Recovers, our intentions and guiding principles, upcoming events and retreats, recovery coaching, online yoga, and so much more on our website, sherecovers.co. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter so that we can stay in touch.